This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast. You and I are being asked to integrate technological advancement and to accept societal changes that in many ways are unprecedented. I don't know about you, but I'm a creature of habit. I often find comfort in the routines and patterns that shape my life, even if they haven't been particularly beneficial to me. When I'm faced with disruption, either in technology or a major societal shift, I naturally exhibit resistance, skepticism, even fear. We all do, sometimes for good reason. Not all change is beneficial. History has shown us that. And it can outpace the institutions we've built to protect us. But it is important to acknowledge that change is indeed happening. Over time, we adapt. That's what we humans do. We become more accustomed to the tech. Our frameworks are revised to accommodate innovation. Today, tech like ChatGPT, cryptocurrency, having to adapt to AI as leaders or institutions, using technology to help us meet the crisis of mental health in ourselves or our children. There is a lot going on, and we're being asked to adopt and embrace these. For that reason, I invited my guest, Gary Golden. Gary is an academically trained futurist who consults on issues shaping business and society. He's worked across a wide range of clients, including Accenture, CVS Aetna, Dell, Fidelity, the Walt Disney Company. And Gary received his master's degree from the University of Houston Future Studies Program and is a past member on the board of directors of the Association of Professional Futurists. This is a great conversation, and I have no doubt some of it will surprise you. So please sit back and enjoy this conversation with my guest this week, Gary Golden. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Gary Golden, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So your brother and I have the same name. Yes, David. Uh, all right, so don't screw it up. <laughs> Pressure's on. Uh, Gary, thanks for so much for coming on the show. I love your title of, um, I have it written down here because I didn't want to mess it up, Professionally Trained Futurists. Mm -hmm which then makes me cast suspicion on all the other futurists that I have talked to or will talk to. What does that mean exactly? And how do you go become professionally trained? Sure. So sometimes I use professionally trained futurist. Other times I use academically trained futurist okay. in order to distinguish you know, my work, my background from the person that can just call themselves a futurist. Right. Anyone can call themselves a futurist. Right. So, so my uh, kind of credentials are linked to a program in future studies <laughs> that has been around since the early 1970s based at the University of Houston. Oh. So uh, that program in Houston has been training futurists to go out into the world, right. work with organizations to bring more discipline and structure and thinking about change. Right. Uh, so – you know, it's a it, – part of it is a, a Google search engine result uh, – right thing where I'm trying to distinguish, but but I do have training in the field of foresight. Right. Plus experience. I mean, now, obviously, all these years of experience. Yep. What would it, what was it that attracted you to this idea? Yeah. Question one. And question two, why Houston? Yeah. Like, I've been in Houston. Yeah. I've lived there in the summertime when the mosquitoes sound like Huey's coming in, mm -hmm. you know, through Texas City or Lamarck or Pasadena. Like, I would I'd much rather be like futurist school and I don't know, you know, something <laughs> Seattle or something prettier than yeah, that. Yeah. Well, we'll pause on Houston for one moment. Okay, so yeah. so how did I get here? So in my 
in my early 20s, I was very interested in, in, in books and stories of like social change. So there, back in the 90s, there were books like Coal, you know, it's l- looking at the history of coal and like the social history, right. cod, salt, there were all these kind of social history books. Yeah. And I gravitate towards that. And then one day I discovered, again, kind of in early 20s, I discovered this idea of like space tourism mm. and, and, and humans bringing life to Mars. Yeah. And then in that exploration of space and kind of the future of humanity, I saw the word futurist. And I looked at it. It was in like in a Scientific America magazine. Right. And I went, that's what I want to be. Yeah. And then I found this program yeah. at the University of Houston. Right. So just to give you contrast, there are in the United States two programs, master's degree programs in foresight. One is in Houston. The other is in Hawaii. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to, you know, not – not right. to dismiss my friends that have gone to the Hawaii program, Houston for me was the better match. Yeah, uh, you know, I love Houston. Yeah, Houston is one of these cities that just has, it is the most dynamic kind of. You know, it do, we don't we don't care who you were, where you're from. If right. you come to Houston, you work hard, you apply yourself, yeah. you can make it. Yeah, and 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 Houston for me had the the most dynamic spirit of any city that I had lived in. Yeah. Um, and then why Houston in this program, uh, in the, again, in the early seventies, Houston had a couple things going for it. It had the Texas medical center. Mm-hmm. It had the, uh, oil gas industry, mm-hmm. uh, which needs to think about, you know, right. what's the price of oil in 30 years. Right. And then it had aerospace. Right. So like, what, what happens if we, uh, if we make, uh, access to civilian, uh, markets, uh, g- uh satellite data. Right. Right, the idea of like what would happen if right. we did this thing. Right. So Houston had the right culture of enough industries that required long-term thinking to become the home for this program. Yeah, yeah, and it's still in existence today. And I'll be there in a few weeks to do a, a, a reunion. It's it's still probably thirty or forty people per year. Yeah, yeah. I love the city. I love the people. I, my family's still there. Many of them I visit it regularly. Um, they are the home and graveyard, unfortunately, of my favorite Houston oiler. You see my little Houston <laughs> oiler helmet there. And, um, I was there a couple weeks ago for the, uh, Texas state disc golf championship. I nice. can't believe you didn't represent uh, the disc golf, but you know, it would, futurists can't see all of these things, but it, you're absolutely right in the culture of that community. Um, <clears throat> and they've had to adapt and overcome yep. so many, and, energy. Mm-hmm. The, um, there's so many conversations within the energy sector, mm-hmm. um, the IT sector, the healthcare sector, the space explor- exploration sector that have had taken some hits, right? Yep. Their industries collapsed and then it's rebounded, yep. collapsed and rebounded. And and they've expanded. I've been really interested to see how they've expanded beyond just the conversation of oil and gas to mm-hmm. energy. How are we responsible with it? Where do we go with it? Um, space exploration, like it just in all mm-hmm. of these areas, it's a fantastic, mm-hmm. not that this, we're trying to be, uh, 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 you know, representatives for Houston, but I find it an amazing place. Absolutely. Eight months of that out of the year. <laughs> Absolutely love it. It gets hot. It gets hot. Yeah. yeah among other things. Yeah. So, um, really cool place. So that's how you got started. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I heard you say that I thought was really interesting was futurists aren't usually wrong, but they can be too early. What did you mm-hmm. mean by that? So nobody can understand what is going to happen in the future, right? There's right. just too much complexity, too much uncertainty to make a prediction right. about the future. 
Um, really what futurists are trying to do is, is identify the conversations and the themes <clears throat> that we can influence today mm -hmm. that are likely to shape the future, right? So often you may be in conversation, you know, you want to talk about whatever it is. You want to talk about social media right. in uh, the days of MySpace, right. and you, you walk into, you know, some big media firm's office, you know, we want to have your feed come into right. our, and they're like, get your social media out of here. Right. Right. You're too early. Right. You're too early. Um, the goal for me, the metric of success is uh, that you are not surprised. Oh. So, so for me, when I'm working with clients, when I'm, when I'm working with people is that I, I don't want you to be surprised when the future arrives. I don't mind being the guy talking about whatever I'm talking about 10 years too early. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll take that right. kind of reputation. I don't want you to be surprised. Yeah, that's that's really the the, the metric of success. Yeah, um, you have children. Yes. How old are your children? So uh, uh, nine and twelve. Um, so I have a twenty, twenty-two year old and twenty-four year old daughters. Mm. They've brought home some people. I'm going to be honest. I've been surprised. Yes. So I did not <laughs> see that coming. And I, you know, don't draw a picture in your mind of what that may or may be. I'm just telling you. I thought it was going to go this way. Yeah. Did not go that yeah. way. It went a different direction. <laughs> um, it it feels like um, that world is like how do you how do you manage between uh, the world of credibility mm -hmm. and people taking you seriously yeah. and and these big ideas that are actionable in a time horizon that makes sense for them. In other words, yeah. to say something like alternative energy is going to be super important. Mm -hmm. I don't know that anybody at some point won't agree, won't, will disagree with that. But when is it actionable for me as a, whatever the group that you're talking to yeah. is so that it's, um, so that either I can beat everybody else there yep. or I can, I can apply it now to my yeah. uh, self. So yeah. how do you, how do you move through that world to yeah. make sure you're relevant? So foresight is often framed as the front end of innovation, the front end of growth strategies, right? Okay. So it's important when you're speaking uh, with leadership, and, and leadership really is the group that you want to speak with. Right. You know, a futurist speaking to uh, you know, middle management is right. it, it just doesn't have the same relevance. Right. You want them to understand that foresight really is about them learning about things and moving towards the things that they don't understand, right? Right. Things that they may have a kind of a dinner table level uh, conversation capacity right. to have like, oh, yeah, I've heard about Bitcoin. It's a, you know, people use it to do criminal things. It's right. Like, well, <laughs> there's a bit more to it than that, right. right? So you're really trying to speak with the right audience, which is leaders right. who are able to engage in a, a personal and a professional learning journey right. that's likely to take a few years. Right. You're just constantly reminding them of the, you know, this, this notion of kind of a horizon one, you know, zero to 18 months, a horizon two could be two to, you know, maybe five years. And right. then a horizon three is like a, three to seven, three to 10 years. Right. Um, you want to remind them that they've done it before. Right. right. There's been a transition that they navigated and then have them tell that story of well, when did you first start thinking about it? Right. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's the big thing is you're in front of the right group. Right. People that can give birth to a new department, or, you know, create something new right. or dismantle something. Right. How, when you're talking about horizons, what, what, in your t 
you just got me thinking about. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to come and I'm going to talk to a group of leaders, so I'm in the data center industry. This is yep. not a, we're not going to do a podcast about data centers today. But there are, we have immediate, like right now, we're trying to build the digital infrastructure that hosts the data of the world. Yep. <clears throat> Horizon One. Horizon One right yep. now. And, and that's very much centered around costs mm-hmm. and um, supply chain mm-hmm. and people and all, you know, immediate regulation yep. that's, uh, uh, right now. You know, might a little bit further out, probably five years for us, yep. <clears throat> would be what materials or what things related to our industry or how mm-hmm. are we going to power these things? Mm-hmm. For example, when we first started making data centers, a 30 megawatt data center, 50 megawatt data center was, well, that's a big data center. Like, mm-hmm. like even if we told them we had a substation out here that could do 100 megawatts. Mm-hmm. Just kind of laugh. That'd be like in mm. 2000, someone said they had a 200 megabyte hard drive. Like, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know, you don't need more than 12. <laughs> what do you care? Yeah. And now I just toured a nuclear energy plant that's got two more reactors coming online yeah. in the near future. And one of those reactors will be needed to fund, to power one of my campuses because yeah. we are imagining it's going to be over 1,000, yeah. 1,200 megawatts. That's that's not just in somebody's yeah. lifetime. They, like that's just in a portion of my career we've yeah. seen this, and our appetite for which we're going to get into later about generating data through all these tools and mm-hmm. things that we use, is is just we thought we were in the hockey stick. We're, that was mm-hmm. the intro to the hockey stick. Mm-hmm. And so, how far out is the horizon really? That at least for you personally, you feel like I can make the most impact in um, in this time frame for these leaders to come back and feel like we're positioned well for yep. the future and we can make a significant impact for ourselves, our customers, and our shareholders yeah. now, three years, five years or less. Yeah. So it depends on the client. Okay. You know, a healthcare company, a financial services company, an energy company, uh, a library, like who's the client? Right. Uh, but three to seven years. Like okay. I, I, I try not to get too far out from a, a three to seven year horizon. Right. And even if there is some sort of, uh, you know, you, you talk about the kind of the, the hockey stick, that right. S curve, even if you're entering a new S curve, you're going to be early stages in that future. Right. You're not going to be operating in a mature, like the whole business is structured. Every data center is a thousand mega, you know, right. you're going to be in an early stage of development of the new era. Right. So managing expectations of my clients is critical. Right. That's how you build the trust. Yeah. Because if you're not, if you're speaking of a fully mature world, they know you're lying. Right. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. There, there, there's a, there was a book, there's a phrase of, um, the slow pace of fast change. Mm. The slow pace of fast change. Yeah. You know, whatever we're in now, crypto, AI, right, hydrogen, whatever it is, it's gonna take time. So right. my job is to make sure they understand that they understand the the stages, the sequences of that change. What are the milestones and indicators to look for? Who are the outside disruptors, good and bad? It's really I'm painting the landscape. Yeah. Um, um, uh, and I use, you know, the tools that I use, I use uh, fictional headlines, right? I, fake news. I, I, right. I, it's creative. You're, you're, you're trying to help leaders build a world, build a world that doesn't exist. Right. And uh, it can be done. It's not easy, but it yeah. can be done. It sounds spectacularly joyous and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Especially when there's like 
lawyers in the room or finance people, like right. people that just have a, just a natural kind of aversion to thinking in <clears throat> abstract terms. Yeah. Like the notion that, again, like you're a media company. It's like nobody's going to want to like or comment <clears throat> on a news story. No right. one's going to create their own media to right. share with other people. That's the job of the journalist. Right. It's just not – it's not within your, you know – your mental model of that future world right. as something that's possible. We'll never email. We'll never watch videos yeah. that are 30 yeah. seconds or, yeah. I, you know, just so many times we'll yeah. never usually means yeah. you're just setting yeah. yourself up for yeah. a, a, a GPU will never outperform or will, will never be bigger than a C, right. whatever it is. Right. right. Yeah. You're telling yeah. me that thing that you play first person shooter games yeah. with is going to change the, the world. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's crazy. It feels like it is one of those things that it's never going to get here. It's never going to get here. It's never going to get here until you look up and all of a sudden the water is yeah. rushing away from the beach and there's yep. a 400 foot wave yep. coming in. So that, that phrase is the gradual then sudden. The, the, right. It's, you know, it's from a, a book where it's, what are the two ways to go bankrupt um, right. gradually then suddenly. Yeah. So changes, there's a slow pace to fast change and then change is often gradual then sudden. Yeah. Right? Machine learning, deep learning, AI, transformer right. models, AI, you know, gradual change. Oh, it's kind of being used. And then November 30th, 2022, the release of ChatGPT. Yeah. Sudden. Yeah. Right? So my job is to, to give leaders a certain feeling in their bodies that's like, I got to learn about this. Yeah. I got to learn. I can't outsource thinking about this to the next layer down. I need to be scanning for those signals of change. Yeah. Right. I love that. I love that concept, gradual and then sudden. Yeah. And so let's dive in there yeah. with uh, tech. Let's start with there. I've got yeah. a few ideas that I'd love to talk about and sort of big ideas. But if we start with technology, a number of our guests in a wide variety of industries, academia, it seems like the whole world is talking about, they mean generative, generative AI. We mm -hmm. are saying ChatGPT, which yeah. is just one of the tools in that world. But yep. how, from your perspective and the conversations that you're having, um, <clears throat> what's the big idea? Why is the world on fire about this? And how are you reacting to it as you're helping your clients understand what this is, What's going to look like for a while and where yeah. is it going? Yeah. So in in this case, my job with leaders is to is to shift their thinking around AI. Mm. So for most leaders, AI has been an analytical engine, right? Where it's like, we've got all this data. This is the big data right. kind of era. Right. And we can't possibly crunch all this information. So right. we're going to use AI to make sense of um, structured data that's just too big for the human being to process yeah. well, for patterns, ticked outliers, et cetera. Right. And AI was analytical prowess for a long time. Yeah. And then this notion of generative AI, which yeah. creates something new emerged on the scene. You know, really, it was August. It was, it was basically last summer of 2022 when we saw – uh, Dolly 2 and Stability AI and Midjourney, these text image platforms right. pick up press, pick up attention. Yeah. People are like, oh my goodness, this isn't this isn't the first version. Yeah. And uh, it was it's AI that's creating something new. 
So then for me, it's about getting leaders to recognize this is a new era and it's it's not going to slow down. Right. It's about to speed up and it's not just text to image, it's you know, text to video, text to sound, text to protein design, text to government policy, text to wellness plan. It's the age of natural language instruction <laughs> of crazy? all business applications, yeah. right? It, it, it's in this case of generative AI, I am, I am almost adding fuel to the fire of hype because it is, it is, it's worthy. Yeah. <laughs> For the longest time, I didn't think it was worthy. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to belabor it too much because my audience has heard some of this journey. Yeah. My first real experience, I, I've become, I've moved from the world of video games back into the world of board games. I am mm. board game addict. I have mm. hundreds and hundreds of them in a large community of um, board game nerds. Mm -hmm. And a number of them are from uh, Georgia Tech or other yeah. kind of really high mind um, uh, engineering schools, MIT, yep. et cetera. And while we would play, sometimes we play board games online, which is it's just an online version of the game. And we're in there in our Discord server, kind of running our mouth. It's just easier for us old dudes to fit it into our schedule yeah. instead of getting around the coffee table. And um, my buddy James, I heard him laughing. I was like, what are you, what are you laughing about? He's messing with Dali, too. Yeah, yeah. And he started soliciting from us, like, give me your craziest phrase. Like, if you could, if you had a sketch artist there... Yeah. <clears throat> I think my crazy phrase was something like, uh, you know, four cowboys riding glass lizards at yeah. a roadie or whatever. I yeah. can't remember now, yeah. but it was some dumb thing. And he started posting into the chat and they were ridiculous. But as he kept going on the conversation over a series of different games over, mm -hmm. so there's over several weeks, I can't remember the exact one now, but he got better at describing, for example, the focus for Dolly, what yeah. lens, a mood. Like we yeah. got better, we began trusting the lexicon yeah. that we had and applying it. And Gary, it created, it would, and it would usually create four outputs, three or yep. four outputs. And one of them, I was like, if I could go get that 3D printed yeah. in that yeah. color with that texture, yeah. I would mount it in yeah. my house or in my yeah. studio. I was I had an epiphany. I was yeah. shocked at how much I loved it. I would have commissioned that. I did commission that. Yeah. Have you had that experience yet? Yeah, this is the well, so what you're referring to is this notion of prompt engineering, right? Okay. So so again, the real revolution with AI is it is it is natural language. We're not clicking typing, we're right. not, you know, we're not creating code. You were trying to learn the language that will get this this machine to do an output that you want. Right. And uh, those prompts, those natural language questions or those instructions become the key. Yeah. Um, my kind of breakthrough experience was, uh, well, it wasn't until, I mean, for me, it was it was ChatGPT. I, I had messed around with Dali and, mm -hmm. and uh, was gotten the discord of mid-journey, but um, I was terrible at the prompts. I was just right. typing in. I wasn't doing the moves. I wasn't right. doing 4K. Right. Well, my buddy was. He was yeah. teaching me. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it wasn't until ChatGPT when I, uh, I think I was doing a prompt. Um, uh, it was on MLK Day, and I was doing a prompt of perspectives. I was saying, pretend you are the head of the FBI. Pretend you are MLK. Pretend right. you are uh, someone. Pretend. And I was doing these perspectives. 
Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, this thing is not just giving me an answer. It's giving me an answer based off of what I am telling it to be. Right. And I thought, this is it. When you go into Google or you're searching the internet, you're not telling it what to search. Like right. The persona of the search, just looking for the generic thing. Right. So my breakthrough was in the ability of generative AI to take a perspective. That was my like, oh. That's a great idea. Yeah. I haven't, the way I've used ChatGPT just experimentally, yeah. I've had fun with it. But I've started taking, um, uh, I attend a lot of events either that I speak at, but one of the things that I love to do is I love to listen to the other panels that are going yeah. on either in my industry or things yeah. that are related to them. And I take a lot of notes and sometimes they're incoherent. And so mm -hmm. I, I make a recording like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. I've started uploading my recording to... Um, couple of other AI tools I've experimented with, Otter AI and mm -hmm. uh, Rev AI. Mm -hmm. I've had Dan Kokoda, who's one of the founders of Rev AI on the show. And they'll take that audio, convert it into text, and then they start not just time stamping, but they mm -hmm. can do voice recognition on who's speaking, mm -hmm. but they can also, just the AI, now they have other services where you can expand it to people, mm -hmm. that gets more expensive, but just the AI will start doing summaries for you. Yeah. Not so yeah. much a perspective yet, but a summary yes. of... Here's what Gary yes. talked about, and here's what Dave talked about. Now, I've taken some of that and put it into ChatGPT and say, okay, here's 10,000 words. Yes. Give me the eight bullet points out of this thing yes. that you see, and I'll compare them. But now you've inspired me to say, so here's David and Gary's conversation. What do you think Gary's perspective is on yeah. pick a topic or yeah. in this area? Is he is he a big believer of that solution yeah. to cybercrime, or yeah. is he – and just see what it – but that's where, in the positive sense of these tools, yes. that's where I see it can come along and help human beings um, really, really help, it, at least for me, help my critical thinking, help me to kind of rearrange my thoughts. But there's a, you know, there's a lot of noise about maybe this isn't all for human flourishing. And you futurists are at the heart of this <laughs> stuff. Everyone wants us to tell them that it will be okay and that we will not be <clears throat> overthrown by the AI overlords, right. right? This is the, it's it's where humans are going to go. Yeah. Uh, first, we need to get to the point where we understand the use cases and, 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 and what you need, what are the skill sets and the mindsets that you need as a, as a person, as a business leader to thrive in this era? Yeah. We talked about prompt engineering. You just said summary, yeah. summary. Like if you're a doctor, put the charts in, summary. Right. Whatever you, summer. We do not have summary tools right. in the modern digital age until now. Right. Until now. So what is it going to be like for human beings to be able to get summaries and different perspectives? Here, Summary of a, of a PDF, show me the perspective of a client. Show me the perspective of a competitor. Show me, a, right? Right. So once we start to learn how to use these generative AI tools, it's off to the races. Yeah. The productivity gains, I think, are going to be staggering. I hope so. The, the, my only, um, as I've had a number of these conversations, my only sort of, as exciting as they are, even when I've mm -hmm. done this before, say, hey, give me uh, Gary's summary of alternative energy. We're going to talk about energy yeah. in a minute. He hates... Uh, hydrofuel cells. He's for, hold on, that's not accurate. You're, you know, yeah. it's, and so now some of the critics will get in here and say, see, here's the danger of this inaccuracy. And especially if I have not read or sure. listened to your positions before, sure. my 
response though is we're early adapters right yeah. now. This yeah. is you can don't trust this to stand in the place of peer reviewed and research things. Yeah. There's a lot of bias in the world. There's yeah. a lot of misinformation. The tool can make a mistake. The yes. the tool doesn't have a will to fool me. Yes. It just came to the wrong analysis. Hit regenerate yep. um and see if it gives you a second thing. But for me, what's exciting is the potential of them. Mm-hmm. GPT 4.0, which is going to yeah. be released in the not too distant future, 6.0, 7.0. What yeah. does it look like at some point in the probably not 10 year horizon, yeah. but the three to five year horizon, yeah. where it's going to be a 99.98% accuracy rate? Yeah. And it's going to be kind of like one of the big, this is kind of a weird tangent, but I just heard this discussion the other day and it really was interesting to me. Whether you believe the Bible or disbelieve the Bible, one of the comments regularly is, well, this is thousands of years of stuff, and so it has to be translated. Now, maybe the ideas were wrong, but when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they found there were errors in some punctuation, there were errors in some of these other things. But in terms of what that book said or this book said, they're almost a thousand percent accurate. At least that, mm-hmm. And I haven't you know, yep. the audience could fact check me. Yeah. But this idea was, um, as you have these multiple points of reference, not whether the idea is the right idea or the wrong idea or that thing actually happened or didn't happen, but in terms of what was the intent of the author and has it been carried throughout time yeah. accurately, it feels like as these tools evolve, they're going to get to a point where the errors are going to be not errors that kill you, not error. It'll yeah. be errors of punctuation or yes. emphasis. These are the factual things that you and I are saying. Maybe it misunderstands what's the most important to me. It's got it second instead of number one. But that's what it feels like the potential of these things yeah. are. Yeah. It's getting us to talk about truth. It's getting us to talk truths, different right. versions of truth. It's getting us to talk about perspectives, uh, continuity, how things do change. The accuracy debate will be resolved. Right. If, if you're searching for, if you're searching for, again, generative AI can be create me a poem, create me a song. There's no truth there. Right. You just create me something, create me a pretty picture. Right. Which it has done. I've made songs and I think yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, right? The poems are funny, right? right? Uh, in the voice of Willie Nelson, in the voice of Kanye, like you just shift up the poem, right? It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so um, fun. But when you are searching for, like, when did this person? Was were they born? What college did they go to? Right, facts will be verifiable. Right. We're going to have reinforcement. That that is a non-issue. Right, at some point in the near future, right. it is a question of will human beings step up to an era where we are no longer streaming information, but we are streaming intelligence. Right, right. This, is, this is again the big perspective shift. Like, right. what does it mean to live in a world where anybody? with a cell phone, billions of people on the planet can can stream intelligence on any subject. Mm. That is so profound. Yeah. So profound. Uh, I'd rather us talk about that than like, uh, you right. know, is it accurate or not? Right. Like, we'll get there. I agree. Yeah. It's, um, it is, as, as you think about this, do you think, I'm, I know you've thought about it, I'm sure you have, the regulation or the ethic around, and not just chat GPT. I don't want to pick on chat GPT, mm-hmm. but just as these, well, that's the tip of the spear, mm-hmm. at least f- to the public. 
mm-hmm. of, a, of a world that's having a seismic shift, how we're going to use technology, um, because it can bring so much power that, that is so consequential that if yeah. misapplied, we see this with other tech in history, mm-hmm. um, even recent history, if misapplied or misunderstood, my family were early adapters of mm-hmm. social media. Yeah. We... Boy, if we could go back 15 years ago and the impact it's had on our mental health, we're going to come and talk about yeah, some of that later. Yeah. But it's not, I'm not anti-social media, but it is, um, uh, in fact, I use it for a number of things around sports and mm-hmm. uh, concert events and some other things. I have forbidden it as it relates to politics and some other yeah. stuff in our family. But as you think about the, the ethic or the rev, the regulation that's going to have to come along is we're talking about these tools in particular. Yeah. Have you given that much thought? And if so, where's it leading? Yeah. It is, it is the area of focus right now. So this is kind of like the, the two framings are one is alignment, right? Making sure you can't type in, you know, show me how to do something horrible. Right. Um, not an easy problem to solve, but it's right. what, you know, it's what people focus on. I don't think on. they've solved it great yet, but they're working on it. The point is they're yeah. thinking about You'll it. You'll never solve alignment. Right. It's because we're going to change. Okay, right. now we're able to talk about that, right? right? right. Um, and then the other thing, often it gets it gets referred to as the safety layer, right? Mm. So the enterprise version, this is the safety layer. So where my mind goes to is within a few years, these, these uh, chatbots are going to be, they're going to be multimodal. You're going to, Get your camera phone. You're going to say, what's that tree? Camera, voice, everything. It's going to be multimodal. Right. And it is almost certainly going to have a personality. Really? It's going to have a personality. Oh so there's a little on Twitter, there's this young woman who developed, and I'm going to space now. I want to say it's a frog. Uh-huh. And she puts on this like, uh, again, I'm going to misremember. It's like a David Bowie song. She's like, I'm trying to think of this song. She sings a couple lyrics. Right. And then this frog is like, oh, yeah, I love that song, and it starts singing it, and you're just like, that's pretty funny. AI, for most people, Uh is going to be embodied inside something. Hmm. It's going to be embodied inside of a caricature, an avatar, whatever we're going to call it, and it's going to have personality. So where my mind goes is what happens to a young person? How do we protect teenagers? Right. Right? With these, these uh, kind of wingman right. type figures in their world that could be enormously useful, yeah. right? If you have a great wingman, an AI bot that's like, hey, you're doing great, right. man. It's like constantly hyping you right. up, making you feel good. Um, how do we, like for me, the ethics is going to be most important to youth culture, yeah. which is going to be the early adopter in this world. For sure. Um, so I really want to understand kind of the intersection of, of ethics and, and, uh, cognitive development and youth culture and what's it going to mean in India, in China, in France, in Iran, in yeah. America. Cause these things are, we're not going to have one model, right? We're not going to have one model. Sure. Countries are going to have their own models with their own safety layers. Yeah. You're not allowed to talk about this in this country. You are allowed in that country. Right. So it's a fragmentation, but the ethics for me my priority right. is on youth culture. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just imagine, yeah. I, I've heard this said, um, if you see a, uh, what some, one of the nicest human beings on the planet is a young teenage boy by himself. 
mm-hmm. very helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're certainly mm-hmm. outliers, but mm-hmm. very helpful. And how can I, you know, there's they get emotional or whatever. One of the most dangerous things on earth yeah. is three or four teenage boys yeah. without supervision yeah. because they look around and so many times in court, they, they've committed the most yeah. horrible crimes. And, they, and the judge or whoever says, why did you do that? Yeah. They have no explanation. Just one yeah. gets in the mind of the other and they say and do something that yeah. individually they would have never, never done. Have done. Um, and so I can imagine an avatar that sits there and helps, um, or, you know, I would like to, the, the best version of yes. this, coaching me, not just the mind in my head, but, um, you know, what's valuable, what's important, yes. what are the consequences, what are the whatever. Yes. Um, I have an adult friend, I, it's not tied directly to this, but during COVID, he was struggling with, I'm not going to say his name, but yeah. I know he's comfortable with me telling the story. <clears throat> there were apps, kind of precursors to what we're talking about now. And, and I'm not advocating taking the place of a professional uh, therapist, sure. but this was in this very specific, unique world that supplemented those conversations yep. to help him cope with isolation yes. and a number of things. Um uh, he's, uh, he, he didn't have family living in the home yep. and that it, and it really resolved or, yep. or helped to manage some of these things. And the app could speak back now, very yep. simple prompts and go things. for a walk. Do you yes. want me to tell you a joke? It's, right. it's not, uh, I'm going to up your meds. Right. How are you feeling yeah. today? Yes. Are you feeling this way? And it would follow a tree and he knew it, but yeah. it still was a noticeable yes. improvement. Cause he felt heard. Yeah. And these these AI bots, they understand emotional cues. Yeah. They get it. And we're very quickly, very quickly, this is the don't be surprised part. Yeah. Everyone wants to talk about, uh, oh, my high school kid's going to do their homework on ChatGPT. I'm like, right. wait until it's its best friend. Right. Like, don't be surprised here, folks. Yeah. This stuff is going to come at us. But what happens? Yeah. You know, here's the here's the pessimist <laughs> in me. So I'm an optimist. I love having you in the studio because I feel the same energy. But every now and then, the um, I'm a skeptic, not a cynic. But every now and then, that voice gets in there of, like, we struggle enough with the, um, I don't know if I want to pick on social media, but certainly yeah. fake news, fake whatever, where even in my own home, we will have sometimes these verbal va- battles with um, uh, the generation much younger than my wife and I, yeah. and we're um, I'm like, why would you believe that to be true? Yeah. How did you get yeah. there on that idea? What was your process? What's feeding you? And, and, and okay, well, let's then let's have a discussion. By the way, you know, we've raised you. We yeah. love you. We, yeah. you know, we're for you. You've seen us for 25 years of your life yeah. in this role. No, I didn't agree with my parents' ideas and then, you know, sexuality sure. and other things as a kid. And I had to push against them. And eventually I probably adopted more of what they thought than yep. what I initially wanted to. Yeah. Because I felt their guardrails were too restrictive. Yep. But I landed eventually on guardrails. Yep. Um, of of one size or the other. <clears throat> Ironically, as they get older, they've like abandoned all guardrails. Like, <laughs> ah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Pretty crazy. But um my my point just there is. That's a lot of power that could be that you know if incorrectly applied or you know the the devil gets in there or whatever you want to call it into that that voice mm-hmm. that's whispering all the worst things. Mm-hmm. These will be the safety layers. And is my kid going out there buying? Uh, they go down to the street corner and they're buying a little thumb drive that has a black market uh, AI on it. Right. You want to be a rebel? 
Right. You don't want the because who's going to control these AI? It's going to yeah. be the parents. Parents are going to put the settings. Right. Hyper up today. Like right. she's focus her. Don't deliver these. Like, before you know it, these kids are going to the feeds, the streams are going to be coming through the AI. Yeah. And the parents are going to be in control. Right. So, can I pause for yeah. a second? Yeah. This yeah, is yeah, like my yeah. mind works yeah. right. Because we lose we lose perspective sometimes on the pace of change and like where we've come from. Uh, kids in media, kids in this, kids in that. The notion of kids going to high school is new. The idea, you know, 1605, 1805, 1905, kids did not spend their days in a place where there were dozens or hundreds of other kids going through the same mm. bonkers stage of like True. life. Right. The notion that human beings, young human beings, would be in a place with all the other people their age is 70 years old, post-World War II. Again, right. you went to high school post-World War II. That's right. when we started all these high schools right. we built, right? You didn't go to high right. school. You were working. Before that, you were basically you were a school, kindergarten through eighth, eighth grade, grade. And then you went back to your work. apprenticeship or work or yes. whatever. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, kids in social media and they're exposed to all these people, I'm like, well, then get them out of high school. You want to change youth culture? Right. Get them when they're teenagers, they're around young people, they're about, around older people, they're right. learning. That Like one of my, you know, little bits of agenda here in, yeah. in, in moving forward in my world is to really shine a light on how unhealthy it is for young people to go to school together. Right. And right, I mean, and, it's a fair discussion. It's a fair discussion, yeah. and it's not to disparage schools, right, or right. but it's like the model should be they are around multiple generations in their days. They're right. not stuck in a world of peer, and people are like, oh, it's just natural. There's nothing natural about that. There's right. no point in human history where they were doing this. They were yeah. on a farm, and right. you know, hundreds of years ago, you may have seen in your entire lifetime, you may have seen a hundred and fifty people, right. In your whole life. Right. <laughs> so I, I like in my talking about the future, I also want people to recognize like, stop. Right. You don't like social media. Replace social media with high school. Right. Bullying. Right. They weren't talking about bullying in, you know, right. the time before they went to high school. Right. So anyway, that's where like my mind as a futurist is always trying to like, what's the story you're telling? <laughs> because it's not... Uh, your frame of reference is always too too short. Right. You said something in yeah. the beginning in a different discussion yeah. I meant to get to, and you're touching on it now, which is as a futurist, part of your job is to identify and yeah. monitor. Yeah. And as we're talking about the context of behavior um, here, I, I thought that was so refreshing when I heard you say that, and probably others have said it, but I heard you say it. <clears throat> Look, let's, let's identify an area. So yep. 75 years ago, we felt like the best way for it, at least the U.S., if not the world, to flourish is for the people around us to have the best economic, spiritual, social, whatever experience is to group us together differently than we had in the past yeah. because there's things that weren't great about doing it in this isolated yep. way. And we're going to do it like this. Okay, so we identified something we believed was relevant. Yep. Now, here we are 70 years later. Should we not look at that and monitor the effect of it? Absolutely. Um, th there were, uh, you know, we're a corporate podcast. So I'm not going to go too far down this road, but if it, if it were my name on it, like 
if you look at some of the things, whether from Columbine forward, from other things of these huge, um, just the way the culture's changed, you know, nobody's fault. I'm not picking on any particular group that as yeah. we've adopted um, technology or whatever, but we should be willing to monitor and mm -hmm. say the thing that we do that with energy, hey, that thing, that internal combustion engine mm -hmm. helped change fossil fuel mm -hmm. change the world. Mm -hmm. But now that we have this many people in these circumstances yep. with this weather pattern, maybe we should rethink yep. how we're doing that, not to destroy ourselves, mm -hmm. but to build it's a, a new future. It's a new era. It's right? a new era. And 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 just to again tie it back to the the thread of this AI, right now you have a tool that is uh it is the teacher. Yeah. And the teacher's role is going to have to change. Yeah. Because the kid can, it's, again, it's, we're not going to be writing essays like we wrote essays. The teacher's going to go home and say, you go home and study the signing of the Declaration of Independence from five different perspectives. And the learning that will occur in that is going to be 10 times better than a kid sitting there trying to think of the right, right words for the essay, right? Right. So we have the tool of the personal tutor. Yeah. It's here. Yeah, it was a Neil the the uh, the sci-fi book space in here, but it's it's, it's the personal tutor. Yeah, it's here. This is what it is. So then, what do we do with the social structures, the social institutions? What is the experience of a young person going to be in a world where, yeah, that tutor knows everything about that person? Yeah, the teacher you meet in second grade, third grade, fourth grade, they don't know. Yeah, <laughs> your background. They don't have continuity. Yeah, the AI will. Yeah, right. My, yeah, my my head didn't go to a frog, but I I thought I was Will Robinson <laughs> with robot. Um, but you know, once upon a time, <clears throat> one of my favorite superheroes was Batman, and my friends were like, "Batman, yeah, why Batman? Not because he was the bad or he was dark or whatever, yeah. but because of Alfred. Yeah, like if if, yes. if I could have an AI like you know exactly PA like Alfred who exactly. was for me, that was wise, that would. Not always nice to me, but always kind to me. Exactly. Hold on. You know, make sure I got my meds on time. No, don't go. To, you know what happens when you do that? Like, I mean, that's my most romantic version of that. Um, that's the future. Yeah. It's going to be a, you know, the, the, what age is appropriate to expose your young, your child to AI? You know, like our kids, when did they get screens? When did they, all this, that debate. Right. You're going to give AI a storytelling frog to your three-year-old, four-year-old? Parents are going to have to start deciding yeah. that. And then when you go, you're a teenager, it's like getting the PS5. Yeah. You're going to get a new avatar. Right. Yeah. And then you're off to college, you're going to get a new one. You're yeah. a parent, you're going to get a new one. You're going to have yeah. all these, like, it's like you go to your basement and you see the the old phone. Yeah. Like, oh, I love that phone. Yeah. We're literally going to be like, oh, bring back my frog AI. Yeah. I want to, for tonight, I just want to yeah, just sing. Reminisce yeah, yeah, yeah. These systems are not going to be all-encompassing. We're going right. to throw them away. Right. We're going to get new ones. Yeah. We're going to start over. Um, it's a wacky world. This 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 one is fun. Yeah. This one has a lot of The potential. best version of it, to me, sounds amazing. We don't... I want to yeah. move on to yeah, some yeah, other yeah, topics, because yeah. uh, I could go down a rabbit hole of the dark <laughs> stuff in it, but... I'm hopeful. What I'm especially hopeful is that I, as a parent, we as parents, now that we've had some brush with the early, our early experiences with tech, and we're learning where, and I think we're going to continue to learn for a while, yep. where it didn't go well. Yes. 
that we say, okay, the tech in and of itself is not evil, but how some of these things, just based upon, we have millennia of human evolution that responds yeah. to certain things, and we've got these tools yep. that, that tease and grab it, and we don't know all the unintended consequences, but we see crisis after crisis after yep. crisis. Yep. So let's just have a cautionary approach as we interact yep. with them. But to not have them, I think, is a foolish... Yep. Uh, you you have you have new parent you have digital native parents that are going to be raising these kids. Yeah. So the hope would be, you know, when the social media mo the parents of those kids had no idea what was going on. Oh, yeah. they're on their they're on their MySpace Facebook page. They're yeah. posting pictures of their friends. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Right. The hope is that the parents of 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 this generation that will grow up with AI will be much more present right and aware of these unintended consequences and monitoring the changes yeah. and adjusting yeah and i think society yeah. by and large is as well hold on hear the things that are coming for that um when my kids were little you know the babysitter was the automatic swinging chair in the ceiling fan you know it hypnotized them to sleep instead of the electronics so yeah. All right. Well, I want to move New on to, we've got yeah. a number of we got a number of hot <laughs> topics and we only have about another 45 minutes so i want to Back to things on fire. <laughs> I am a crypto uh, naivete. Like I, I, I don't have <clears> a lot of experience in it, <throat> and I don't know that how much time we want to spend on this. And yeah. I don't even want this conversation necessarily to be specifically crypto. But yeah. in the last six weeks, quietly, the second, some could argue, the third largest bank failure in the history of the world with mm. Silicon Valley Bank mm. and others. Um, we've had all of this turmoil in the last eight or nine months, there's been a lot of turmoil around uh, crypto money either. Um, and I'm not trying to lump it all. There's been yeah. one or two uh, platforms that have come under yeah. a lot of scrutiny for uh, lack of due diligence on the back end. The yep. board was a bunch of friends from a, you know, whatever, whatever it yeah. is. And so it can yeah. illustrate this emotion around, hey, somebody said this phrase, I'm a person of a lot of money. I'm going to rush over here and get involved in something that yeah. really you probably should do your due diligence around anything. Yeah. What, but it feels like this is in the news and this is a hot spot right now. As a futurist, as you think about future of money, yeah. is there really a future for crypto in spite of its lumpy, lumpiness mm -hmm. and why? And and how do you talk through some of these ideas that yeah. uh, I'm raising? Here? Yeah. So the theme is... Uh, it's not crypto. The theme is decentralization. Okay. Uh, and when we talk about the decentralization, we're talking about the decentralization of assets, which could be a currency. Okay. It could be a loyalty point. It could be in, in an NFT image, but right. it's it's an asset. So okay. decentralized assets, decentralized identity, mm -hmm. and then decentralized governance. Okay. So it's kind of work backwards. So okay. decentralized... Um, Governance would be how do we create tools and infrastructure for uh, entities to have – it's decentralized. Nobody controls the books. Nobody right. controls, right? It can be private, right? but it's decentralized right. for making decisions. Governance is about making decisions. So okay. I'm in a homeowner's group. I'm on a softball league, a board game a group, like right. – or it's a company. Right. How can we create tools? This is the – DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Okay. Like, it's none of those things. Right. But it's basically people in the crypto world trying to create tools for 
transparent, accountable governance. Okay. Right? So who owns what? Who got paid what? Right. Brings transparency and accountability. Right. We want that. Right. We want that. And governance also leads into government. Right. So a city's books, a city's, you know, who got paid what on that project. Right. Right? Are they connected to the, the uncle or cousin of the mayor or whatever right. it is, right? Right. So decentralized governance is a big, big story. Right. Decentralized identity is basically a recognition that, um, well, first, identity wasn't even a thing 50 years ago. Right. You had a state-issued ID, right. state-issued ID, and that right. was it. That was it. Maybe you gave it to a person, they looked at it personally, and that was it. Right. Then digital happens, internet happens, your identity's everywhere. Right. Got away with us. Right. We were surprised. Right. Oh my gosh, all these nameless companies have my psychographic profile. Right. I don't even know that they had it. Right. I didn't even know what a psychographic profile yeah, right, is. Right, right. So um, decentralized identity is basically this idea of federated identity <clears throat> control. So um, the example always given is when you go to your 22, you go to a bar, you hand the person your ID, they see, they need to see your face and their age. That's mm -hmm. all they need to see. What right. else do they see? The address. Right. That person doesn't know your doesn't need to know your address. Right. Um, so that is a that's a non-federated, they have to see it all. Right. Right. Federated data is where you control. You're, you apply for a loan. Right. You say, show the 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 loan entity this set of information. Right. Your health insurance wants to see information. You only give them access to this information. Yeah. Right. So federated data decentralized data allows individuals to control who sees what information about you. Yeah. Right? I love that idea. A friend of mine in the FBI was telling me one of the biggest things that they were at that time having to deal with, but just a few years ago, comes from small mm. dental and medical. Because mm -hmm. you go in there and you give them everything. This is mm -hmm. my social, my date of birth, mm -hmm. my name, my e everything. Mm-hmm. Many of them are um, still very uh, analog. Yep. They take that some, not everybody, they're not trying to disparage a whole industry, but yep. there's enough bad actors that they take that. That information is so valuable. Yeah. And they sell it, they distribute it, or they weaponize it themselves. Yeah. And before you know it, you go to file your tax return and yeah. a $500 debit card's been mailed to you yeah. to a different address that you don't recognize because they're gathering this data. Yeah. Whereas if they just had... Enough to identify you and then get into whatever your medical thing was. Not all of this other ancillary stuff. Exactly. Um, they couldn't exactly. do that. Exactly. So crypto people are trying to create decentralized identity tools. Okay. Challenge is a lot of people in crypto are very, very libertarian, very privacy focused, and they want to basically treat a world of like, my identity is never right. <laughs> seen. Right. Reality is you need, your identity is currency. Like yeah. You, we have to step up. Right. Like, it's like accepting, like identity right. is key. Right. It is a key asset. Right. So decentralized governance, decentralized identity. Mm. Then we go to decentralized assets. Now, the 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 popular narrative of of uh, cryptocurrency, or the philosophical kind of underpinning is the decoupling of state government and money. Mm. So. We used to have money and church were coupled, then right. they were decoupled in right. many countries. So what we're talking about is the decoupling of government from money. Right. So government will not control the printing of money. Right. It will be controlled by this network. Right. <laughs> you know, we won't go there, but we have a good sense of the abstraction. Right. 
and uh, they can't print money, like all this stuff. Right. That's the philosophical underpinning. Then we saw this emergence of Bitcoin and all these, these currencies. And the I think the, the narrative that got released was it is going to dethrone the dollar. Right. And nobody is going to like you if you start going around right. saying you want to dethrone the dollar. Right. You're not, you're not going to get invited to the table or if you're right. thrown out of the party. Right? right. So my approach with crypto is, is kind of that low-end disruption theory of Clayton Christensen where, again, it's like a little phone. Right. I, I run these data centers or these uh, – I, I build PC computers. Right. Your little flip phone is no threat to my personal computer laptop business. Right. You can't do these things on your flip phone. Right. Until the flip phone improves to the point where – I'm not even buying a laptop anymore, right? Because it's all on my on my smartphone, right? Right. The low end disruption, right? So my approach with crypto is stop with the narrative of dethroning fiat. Crypto is going to be for loyalty points. Hmm. Crypto is going to be for uh, companies that have their own currency, social groups that have their own currency, right? right? It's, 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 it's loyalty point programs. Is there any right? money in loyalty point programs? Trillions of dollars, right? I mean, you think really? about how much money, you know, you go and you have, uh, you've got the Delta points or something yeah. like that. Like yeah. that's on their books. Yeah. These things have value on their books. They wow. want you to, they want you to spend it. Yeah. Right. They want to get it off their books. They want, you know, they want, they want you to spend that currency. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to wrap this one up, but the, the, the notion that you want to think about is crypto is programmable currency. So you can imagine a future where you have Amazon issues a hundred billion dollars in coordination coins. Right. So within Amazon's logistics network, there has been created a hundred billion dollars of value and all the players get these coordination coins and based on the decisions of those individual players to improve the outcome of that day's delivery right. or not, based on their decisions, the value of their coordination coins will go up or go down. Wow. So when you think about loyalty points and programmable currencies, it's really about organizations incentivizing certain behaviors right. of their customers, of their workers, to yield certain outcomes. So crypto, like, it's programmable currency. Right. It's behavior change. It's incentive engineering. Right. The mindset for crypto is not take down the dollar. Maybe it will. Right. But right now it's like, oh, if I – one final example. Sure. I'm a physician. You're my patient. For months I've been trying to get you to adhere to the prescription. Right. And you're not taking your pills. Right. You're not getting better. Right. So I give you your prescription and I give you 100 you know, Gary coins. Right. And then if you, you have your little phone app and you take your picture and it's, you know, right. locked and secure. Use my CPAP, yeah, yeah, do yeah. my whatever. Do your thing. Right. Then the value of your coins go up. Next time you go to CVS, cheaper. <laughs> you, you you made money, right. right? You have more value based off of the, the behavior and the outcome associated with the value of that cryptocurrency. One of the things that I've been having a moment with that, I was resistant to forever, and now I love. Um, we would sometimes go to live music. It was uncommon before COVID. Yep. I don't know, concert every two or three years. Not very often. Since COVID, we go all the time. Mm. And so I've 
I've rediscovered the value of putting my tickets in a wallet. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to the dirt bike races here yeah. in a few days. I'm going to see yeah. Don't Judge Me, Duran Duran and Sticks in a few yeah. weeks with friends from out of town. We'll go do a wide variety of things. And <clears throat> But it gets frustrating when I cannot, when my wallets are different wallets. And yeah. I'm imagining this world. So... I'm in a really hard spot because I am very libertarian minded. Yeah. At the same time, I'm a very tech optimist and kind of so I'm. Yeah. I'm like the cat sitting on the other side of the window from the bird, just kind of having having a moment. But I've given up uh, not all vestiges of privacy, but I do want to have the federated privacy yes. that you talk about to man, to move through the world to whatever degree I can today. But as it relates to wallets, it doesn't. It feels like a barrier to doing some of the things that we're talking about is the seamless ability to to move through these things where it's all my, I travel a lot. You travel a lot. Yeah. I've got a million miles saved on yeah. Delta. I've got a few hundred thousand here on other programs. Yep. I've got them across Sheridan, Marriott, and Hilton. How, how does this come together? That's what, crypt, that's what crypto is saying it can solve, right? It's identity really? wallets. Okay. It's identity-linked data. Okay. You don't want to link your identity to data unless you're absolutely certain that you're controlling that data. Right. And I can take it away from you. And I can take it away. Right. Or if, or if like, yeah. And I share these libertarian kind of privacy concerns, not to a, like a, you know, crazy degree, but it's like, if you can imagine a world where your data sits somewhere, it's, Uh it's, it's encrypted. It's on a decentralized ledger. It's kind of everywhere at the same time. But if someone pings for it, you know, Mm. you know, yeah, (laughs) you don't know right now. Someone is searching through data of my cell phone. I don't know that they're retrieving that data. Right. So crypto is, it's this, uh, Oh, it's so complicated. So people are like identity wallets, identity linked data. What does that mean? It's going to take some time for us to wrap our heads around these capabilities. But that thread of all the wallets and the tickets, that is what crypto promises. Hmm. That when you go to the concert, you'll be able to, you want to get a t-shirt. They'll be like, show me the NFT that you were at the concert 10 years ago. You'll show it to them. Right. And you get a discount on the t-shirt. Right. Right. We're going to start to manage identity linked data and identity linked loyalty points yeah. in, in new ways. Yeah. That's what's going to precede the, you know, the real competition to fiat currency. Yeah. Right. I think I love that idea. I'm yeah. going to have to think about it, and then we'll come back and yeah. talk about it another time. And it's time. not without its risks and pitfalls, yeah. but to be clear. But that's 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 the hope. You control your identity data. Right. You control your assets, yeah. not the bank, not, not Delta, not right. Starbucks. They're holding your loyalty points right now. They are. You should be holding those loyalty yeah. points. Um, yeah. I, now you're going to get me worked up, and I want to move on. <laughs> I know we don't... So I had wanted to talk about energy. Maybe we'll get yeah. to it. I want to I want to pause on that and go to one of the areas that, if you don't mind, Please. around social fabric. Um, we're Energy is for sure having a moment. There's a lot of conversation around nuclear and um, all kinds of things that I think are really fascinating that we could dive into. And mm-hmm. um, if we get time at the end of this conversation, maybe we come back to it or maybe mm-hmm. we just do a, a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But social fabric for sure yep. is having um, is on fire, just like money and generative AI. And 
it's this, as we've already said, it's this, it's a, um, as we're ingesting philosophies and technologies and all of this stuff into our world, in some ways they're spectacularly helpful. And in other ways, man, it's hard, it's lumpy. And the consequences, at least from a social fabric, in my perspective, tend to be in my own very direct experience are uh, my kids or my friends' kids are mm. are sort of tier one of that consequence, mm-hmm. um, sometimes tragically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know a single family that is not in, in, impacted in some way, um, not in a positive way, um, have some serious negative um, impact by some of the technologies uh, that we live with as human beings today. So is we comment on social fabric, one of the ideas that you bring up that I have no experience with, but I'm really curious for the conversation is this idea of conscious parroting. Yeah. My parenting days, I can, I can offer advice today to the degree that they'll take it. Uh, but my youngest being 20 here in about three weeks or mm-hmm. two weeks, um, there's no, I don't have anywhere near the influence that I even at least imagined I had 10 yeah. years ago. I come from a, my grandparents, pretty authoritative mm-hmm. people, World War II veterans, mm-hmm. love them dearly, but they mm-hmm. were survivors of the Great Depression and pioneer yeah. stock. I, to give them yeah. a uh, a pass on how they parented, yeah. but that was just the world that they came, very authoritarian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. authoritative. My parents, probably not as intense as their mm-hmm. parents. In my mm-hmm. case, both of my grandparents were Marines in the... Uh, I'm sorry, both my great-grandparents were Marines mm-hmm. in the 20s. And so yeah. my grandfather parented out of that. And, yeah. you know, this is sort of a not an uncommon narrative. My parents, pretty authoritative, yeah. lots of love, yeah. uh, but pretty authoritative. Yeah. My wife and I, I would not call us permissive by any stretch of yeah. the imagination. Lots of authoritative because that's yeah. where we came from. Yep. We're just trying to figure out now, especially if we have grandkids or other people around us, yep. How do we do this? Permissive for me does not work. Just, yep. you know, I've been around enough kids that that in that world, either personally when I was a kid or now, yeah. that's not going to work. Yeah. But I've got to think more thoroughly about um, how, if I get the, uh, you know, praise, I don't want my wife to call me up today and say, good news, we have tried parenting again. <laughs> but the, um, you know, there's a phrase that some people will like, will rely on, spare the rod, spoil the child. And on the one hand, that's correct. I think that's taken out of context. The other, there's another phrase that nobody, a biblical phrase, um, talks about, which is, I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm not a biblical person, but it is a biblical scholar. Um, Fathers, but it just means humans, Mm -hmm. do not exasperate or drive your children to, in other words, don't beat the you know, unjust, unfair, authoritative, to have boundaries, to have these things. There are consequences to behavior on a graduating scale, I think, is the idea that it conveys. But it is not just walk around with a rod and beat the crap out of everybody, right? That doesn't sound a lot like turn the other cheek. So somewhere between these paradigms, and I heard you speaking um, Mm -hmm. on this topic, and it blew my mind because I've not really thought about it. And I'm I'll be honest, I'm a little skeptical. Sure. So I'm, there's a long <clears throat> preamble. Um, probably half of it will get edited out <laughs> for you to help us to understand what it is and what it isn't and what's yeah. the need for this idea of conscious parenting. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into conscious parenting, again, let's give our, like we did high school. Sure. You know, so 
the idea that two individuals would raise a family in a single home is post-World War II. Oh, okay. Right? Prior to World War II, every household had multiple generations. For sure. Yes. Multiple parents. There was an uncle that wasn't your uncle. He was the child. His parents died of right. the flu and the whatever. Right. And he's your uncle. He's not your uncle. Right. But you know him as your uncle. Right. This notion that technology or consumer, it's like, is, 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 uh, the kids these days, like, kids these days have been limited in their development primarily because we created this notion of a two fam, two parent family right. household. Right. Right. That is brand new, brand new. So, <laughs> and, and being a kid, you were working at age eight. You right. were working. Right. <laughs> there was no such thing as a teenager. Right. Right. So all this stuff is new. That's the context. Right. So what then is, what then is the future of parenting is the biggest question for me that we can be asking ourselves. So this idea of conscience, conscience or gentle parenting emerged uh, uh, kind of early days of COVID around TikTok. Really? Yeah. So this is kind of like, we'll piece things together here and show that okay. kind of like, so um, let's break down styles of parenting. Cause I think there was, you were using some language. I think I, I may want to uh, fix it. Fix it. Yeah. So there are four types of parents. One is just the, we just ignore, neglect. Don't raise the kid. Right. Then there is authoritarian, which I think is what you were leaning towards. Authoritarian yeah. is fear me. Right. Fear me, the parent. Right. <laughs> I am the wise one. You will do as I say. Right. That is authoritarian. Right. right. Then there is permissive, which is, oh, Johnny, do whatever you want. Oh, right. I'm sorry, Johnny hit you. He likes to hit. Like right. no rules, right. you know, kind of 1990s experiment. Right. And then the then conscious parenting, gentle parenting is what I would argue we want is authoritative. Mm. So authoritative is I am the adult. <laughs> right. I have experience. I know what's going on. You're five. Right. <laughs> but you're five. I am not going to treat you like you are my servant. Right. I'm not going to be authoritative. Right. I'm not going to scream at you. I'm not going to, my job is not to make you afraid of me. My job is to teach you, young one, how to um, regulate your emotions when you are dysregulated. Mm. The biggest problem that adults have with kids is adults have an adult mind after age 25, mm -hmm. right? That they can regulate their emotions. Well, we actually can't. Right. I, think, I think that's part of the problem of the world is we can't, right? Um, but you physically can regulate your emotions as an adult. Young person can't. Right. They have to co-regulate with the parent. And in an authoritative parenting model, you shame the child. Stop crying. <laughs> Go sit alone in the corner. Yeah. Be alone. Right. Regulate your emotions. And the five-year-old's going, I don't even know what that is. I have these big emotions and I can't regulate because I'm five. Right. <laughs> and uh, so in any event, authoritative parenting is the middle ground of kind of what we want. You're the adult, you know, but you're not gonna, you're not ruling over your child. You're right. letting them express their emotions. You're helping them regulate. And then when they've regulated, then you give them the lesson. Right. Most adults wanna like, at the moment the child does something <clears throat> bad, what do you wanna do as the parent? 
old school. Discipline them and tell them what they did wrong. Is the child able to receive that lesson at that moment? No, no, because they're dysregulated. Nothing you say is going to go into their mind. So in any event, this has changed my life. So during the early stages of COVID, uh, TikTok was popular. And one of the subgroups within TikTok was this gentle parenting world. Now, gentle parenting as a framing is terrible because what do we think gentle parenting is? Permissive. Permissive. Right. It's not. Right. It's not. You have boundaries. You have high expectations. Gentle parenting is not permissive parenting. So we say conscious parenting. We say peaceful parenting. It's basically a world where the adult doesn't get triggered. The adult is an adult and doesn't get upset and helps the kid reestablish their their balance. And then – share the lesson, right? So in any event, during this early stages of TikTok, gentle parenting started to get bigger. And you had had, uh, dozens of these uh, conscious parenting creators kind of emerge in TikTok and then millions and hundreds of millions and billions of page views. So I, I uh, in addition to being a professional futurist, I run an after-school business. I run a, uh, an after-school business in Brooklyn, New York called Into the Future. Hmm. And I work with young kids yeah. three days a week and we kind of play. And what are their ages? Second grade through fifth grade. Okay. So we do like the future of toilets, the future of cars. We do these builds, these world-building right. activities each day. Um, and I was getting triggered. You know, if you want to get triggered as an adult, put yourself in a room with 15 kids that have been in school all day, yeah. come to your space, and the space is beautiful. And right. It's freedom, 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 right? right? They do whatever they want. And I was getting triggered. And I was yelling and not doing right. things. I wasn't yelling. I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Because I was getting triggered. I was feeling that emotionally when you were describing up to that point. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You want to I, fix it. I want to fix it. I don't even know how I could manage that. Yep. So yeah. in any event, I started following this gentle parenting world. And then I basically came up with this thesis because I saw it and I started doing it with our kids. And my wife is years ahead. She's been doing it before it was even a thing. Right. And when my son, who's in seventh grade now, when we have a tense moment, uh, we disarm. And then he'll come back to me at the end of the day and be like, he'll apologize to me. He'll be like, I'm sorry. I was I felt this way and this is why I reacted. Right. And I'm just sitting there like, seventh grade Gary would never have done that. Yeah. Never in my Never yeah. in my youth did I apologize to my parents because I overreacted. Right. So I have live gentle parenting, conscious parenting works. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this whole thesis and wrap this up and we can talk here. Yeah. That conscious parenting as a social movement where we're in the United States, we are we are basically empowering adults, parents, to have tools and language and approaches and techniques to not get triggered, to acknowledge the kid's feeling, still have expectations, still correct the behavior, model the behavior. Right. We're teaching parents. That is the most important social movement in the history of the human species. Really? So to accept that thesis, you have to recognize that that world would be the first world of young people growing up on scale, mm-hmm. being able to regulate their emotions and talk about their emotions. Mm. How does that change the workplace? Yeah. Right? We talk a lot about the workplace. Oh, these kids are too sensitive and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's still – that's not – those are not kids that were raised gentle parenting. Those are permissive parenting kids. Right. right? It's not being – 
being sense overly sensitive is a whole separate trope, right? right? What we want is adults that can talk about their emotions and adults that can get regulated when they need to get regulated and have techniques. And if you do that, you change the world. Like what do most people do when they can't regulate their emotions? They drink, right? They take substances, right? You teach young people to regulate their emotions to not feel you talk to addicts. Most people, what is the thing that drove them to uh, a life of addiction? Shame. Shame. Mm. Where does shame come from? Authoritarian parents. <laughs> so this one for me, it literally exploded my mind when I was like, gentle parenting is not permissive. Right. It's present parenting. It's peaceful parenting. Yeah. And I started doing it with the kids at Into the Future. And they change. The kids change. The mean girls don't become mean because you haven't shamed them. They're having big emotions. They learn to be kind and they right. change. You give them space. Over time, they change. Right. I've seen it work with my own kids. And that, for me, would change the world. Yeah. I mean, I love the hope yeah. of it. I, I, yeah. the, the idea of it, just there's a part of me that's, that says, I remember my... Um, my folks. Um, so I was probably, um, I don't know, when I was in second grade, was 72, something like that, mm. or second or third grade. And we were in California, and uh, the school I went to was in a caboose. So mm. it's this really cool experiment. <laughs> it was very much like what you described earlier, which was they had uh, was a, a, um, some Quakers. Nice. And uh, my family were not religious uh, yeah. at the time. I've 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 since become a person of faith, but at that time, that our family was not. But what they really appreciated was, I think it, I don't think it went through high school, but it was kindergarten through eighth grade. And there's probably I don't know fifty students, and so you had these primary. Uh, you know, only California could experiment with stuff like this, but it worked great. At recess, we went out, we'd walk through this uh, little redwood forest near where we mm -hmm. lived in Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. Like it was really, yeah. I only have fond memories. I don't remember. Um, so my parents are pretty conservative, but they're kind of like hippie conservatives. I don't know okay. how to describe yeah, 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 them. Yeah, yeah. Um, my mom, for sure. <clears throat> my dad, very, um, uh, well, somebody of great depth of love mm -hmm. is also very much hit first, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things mm -hmm. you're describing, which is how I parented um, yeah. to a degree. And so I'm when they, in that era, I remember my mom coming home, and I don't want to screw up um, the name of the book, but there were, there were some ideas, and it sounds like it was much more permissive than yes. what you're describing, Yes, which was, hey, look, we need to... Um, I don't know. We, we we need to approach your child. I was pretty much a handful yeah. um, all the time, <clears throat> million yeah. million miles an hour, and that did not work for her. And yeah. it sure as heck did not work for my dad because yeah. I would manipulate her and take advantage of her. Yeah, and uh, it would just drive, drive my dad crazy, and I'd yeah. get the whipping anyway. So I'm I I guess what I'm trying to figure out is as you talk about this, if you have a headstrong kid like me, or um that are really trying to push those boundaries, how do you manage through that without losing yourself? Yeah. So you, so what we did not have back in that time period was an understanding of the cognitive development of a child. Mm. There was no science of uh, 
when are kids, uh, when do kids believe their own lies? Oh. Like, what are you doing, Susie? Oh, I'm having tea with my friend, you know, whatever. Right. right. Pearl the princess. And she literally believes. That she, right, sure. Because cognitively speaking, it is completely appropriate for a child of that right. age to believe their own lies. Right. So we did not have, those parents did not have a cognitive framework for understanding, like, when kids are in their teenage years, they are egoistic. Right. That's natural for the young person to feel these things. Yeah. So at the beginning of that period, she probably Dr. Spock type book or something. Yeah, it was the beginning, it was the beginning, it was the beginning of this. We had a psychology of kids and now we're just, we're wiser. Right. We understand that like young kids test boundaries. That's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't like that as an adult, tough luck. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah. that's what you signed up for. Yeah. Kids will test boundaries. Then then the question becomes, do you respond to that with being, I'm going to make them afraid of the boundaries right. or I'm going to model the boundaries. I'm going to correct the boundaries when they're crossed. I'm going to use trust right. and communication as the tool to guide them back into the, the guardrails so they right. don't cross the boundary, right? You go on TikTok and you watch these conscious parenting they, they show you, they show you the four-year-old that doesn't want to leave the playground. Yeah. And they show the, this is what I say to my kid, give them the time. I give them two warnings and then I use I statements and I, I take the kid and I walk them to the car. Right. It's not permissive parenting. Right. But you watch the modeling, you watch the techniques, they work. Yeah. Now it's a question of, this goes back to the social fabric. Like, do we take a position where we try to train parents in the practice of conscious parenting. Is that a, you know, in the left-right culture war yeah. conversation, um, is that going to be seen as woke? Yeah. <laughs> is it going to, like, how do you get to this uh, point where it's like speaking to your child in a healthy way makes a healthy child, not a snowflake. Right. They, the world's a tough place. You got to be tough with your child. No. Right. A child will be more resilient if they don't have fear and shame. A, a kid that was raised rough and beaten and all this stuff doesn't navigate the nasty world better than a kid who was raised. Right. We know this. Right. It's it's uh it's inaccurate to say like, well, the world's a hard place. So you got to be hard on your kid. Yeah. It's just not true. It is such an interesting conversation that I've um I've committed for myself in my um, quiet time mm. to learn more. And so Great. one of the things I would love for you to do is to um, share with me before you leave uh, the studio today, we'll make sure we link to some Great. of the things that you would recommend for us yep. who are skeptical, but not cynical, but yep. curious, because I want the outcome. I want the outcome of self-regulated parent and a, yeah. and a kid who learns how to regulate, because I think... Yeah. One of the things that my dad and I, um, I'm sure he'd be okay with this. I'll find out before this airs <laughs> so if I need to edit this. But I remember in eighth grade, um, you reminded me of this story when you're talking about the egotistical mm -hmm. kid. And we played a lot of cards. I mm. love playing cards. I couldn't beat my dad at hardly anything. He was a uh, track, standout track star, slender guy in Northern California. I'm built like the world's largest Lego. Even when I was skinny, I'm still a thick. Mm -hmm. um, he's more Cherokee, Scots-Irish. Scots I'm more German, just yeah. thick. 
um, which is great for airborne infantry, not so great with uh, Elastic Dad. But anyway, um, where I could beat him is we would play board games, but in particular card games. And that was a generation mm-hmm. that played a lot of card games. Yeah. And he had taught me this card game. And I remember I learned how to trash talk. And I just started, <laughs> I pretty quickly picked up the nuances. And my dad is a genius IBM engineer, yeah. NASA kind of guy. But in particular, trick taking games like spades and hearts and canasta, whatever, I just found an affinity for them. Mm. And I would trash talk him and trash talk him as I beat him. Now, he, he didn't hit me or anything mm-hmm. like that. But one day he just, Stop playing cards with me. Mm. And I didn't understand. Mm. And so here we are 40 years later, probably mm-hmm. 30 years later. I was in my late 40s. I was probably 12 or 13 years old mm. uh, at the time of that conversation and or, or that when that stopped. And it just clicked on me because I had kind of been a smart aleck during a, just a regular board game. And he mm-hmm. got irritated, stood up and walked away, mm-hmm. my almost 80-year-old dad. And I couldn't mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. We, we were self-regulated. We, nobody mm-hmm. yelled at each other, but we... The next day, we sat down and said, hey, why did you leave that? And he said, mm-hmm. "I my teasing him triggered him mm-hmm. with his dad mm-hmm. of things that would happen. And my grandfather's a yep. wonderful human being, but this was a trigger that my dad had. Didn't even yep. know it. Yep. And I was like, man, could you imagine if at 13, we had some ability for you to tell me, mm-hmm. look, this... Don't act like this. Here's what it feels like to me. Yes. My dad couldn't had no way to connect with his emotion like yes. that. And I probably didn't before the time I was 35 or 40. Yep. Um, I got there sooner than he did. He didn't get there until his 60s or 70s. Yeah. And it just reminds me of I, I remember being so sad. Like I have then pissed him off directly or indirectly. Yeah. All this time. Yeah. Either that led to a beating as a little kid. Yeah. Or to just a fractured the things that we could do as kids and we're as libertarian conservative, yeah. you know, not to, not to like we're manly men. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean that. I just mean we're all veterans. This is not a, uh, buy into some emotion. I'm just telling my personal experience. I just remember thinking, crap, yeah. I wish I had, we had the ability to have that conversation yep. so much longer ago. How many experiences did we miss? And I could have tuned my behavior because yep. I love beating my dad. Yep. I love playing games yeah, with yeah. him, but, um, not at the expense of, um, I could have just left that part out and we'd have been great. Yeah. Yep. We finally have the tools and the framework to break generational trauma and generational triggers. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm sure your father improved over yeah. the, his generation, you know, it's, it's all, but, but we basically have had the history of humans as a species is just authoritarian <clears throat> beating down of the child. Right. <laughs> that has been the, 99.9 out right the length of the human experience has been based off of that model and we finally so why i say it's potentially the most transformative social movement right. ever we can break that does not mean that you let your kid get away with whatever they want to do right. you want to model the behavior you want to let them grow at the way they grow they're not broke a 12 year old is not a broken 50 year old right they're a 12 year old with a 12 year old mind yeah <laughs> So it it is fascinating, and it's not just on TikTok. Right. <laughs> the, the people can dive into this conversation multiple different entry points, but I think it's I think it's transformative. I love that a futurist. Yeah. Every futurist I've ever talked to, we mm. talk about technology, we mm. talk about geopolitics, we yeah. talk about um, <clears throat> energy, or like like the things that are really on fire. 
And you're the first person I heard talk about this idea. And I know it's out there, but in terms of this professional category, I thought, well, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't I at least investigate, even if I don't come to the same conclusion that you do, why would I not? The most valuable part of my future is is the people that carry my DNA. And then the second most popular is in that that community. Like, what are we doing this for? Whatever the this is with energy or these other things, what are we saving our planet for or trying to improve it if it's yeah. not for us carbon-based life forms? And yep. if this is a part of it, because um, yep. the world, you know, to we're wrestling with ideas of what do we do with gun laws? What are we doing with um, bullying? What are we doing with all of these other things? And if we cannot come to a spot where we're emotionally more well-balanced, yeah. It doesn't really matter what we legislate. Yeah. It's still going to go off the rails. Yeah. Emotional regulation. Never in my life would I have thought this would be like my... sing. It is the thing that I think about the most every day. And I'm not very good at it. Mm. I'm a Philly kid. Lots of anger. Lots of big... Like, like you know, big love. Well, you should lots. that should all go away after the Eagles won that <laughs> Super Bowl and almost won it last year, except for those refs. <laughs> but it's, it, it is... Uh, it's a conversation whose time has come. Well, Gary, we've talked yeah. a lot. <laughs> Trapped in here for about an hour and a half, um, hour and 45 minutes. Thank you for coming on, and yeah. uh, I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to uh, have our next conversation about again. the things we haven't talked about yep. and, and see where my journey is in learning some of these things about the, the social fabric stuff. Thank you. Hey, everybody, if you liked that conversation, like the channel. If you loved it, subscribe. We'll see you next time. Take care.